Welcome to On Fighting in Thailand, the best news and analysis covering the economics and infrastructure of Muay Thai. I'm Matt Lucas, journalist, commentator, and ex-Muay Thai fighter. Make stronger fighters, make stronger people. So in this episode, our second in our series on Australian Muay Thai history, we talk to Darren Riddler-Reese from Perth, Australia. He spent a lot of time at the famed Sang Morikot Gym in Bangkok. It's right by Raja Demnern Stadium. He's been about three years out there and really developed himself as a fighter. It's really interesting hearing about his journey and also what he really brought back to Australia because I think he really hits home uh, some key points. So without further ado, the interview with Darren Riddler-Reese. So how are you doing today? Um, how are things over in Perth? Hey Matt, how you going? Um, thanks, yeah, I'm, I'm going well. Things are, things are good in, in Perth. Mm-hmm. We've uh, had a, a great run of uh, fight shows to finish off last year. We had an early closure in the year, here just, just for five days, but things are back up and we've had uh, two fight shows in the last two weeks. So definitely can't complain compared to what's going on in, in the rest of the world. We've been very lucky here in, in Perth. Yeah, one of the big events you had was the WBC international bout between George Mann and David Panapi uh, from uh, Moi Yu. Definitely want to talk about that. But uh, first, you know, obviously you've been in this sport for so long. Um, you had a pretty extensive fight career going back and forth between Australia and Thailand, uh, and then eventually staying in Thailand after an international tournament. Uh, But could you tell a little bit about how you got started and what the Muay Thai scene was like at the time? Okay, yeah, cool. Well, I got got started in 1989. Um, And back in those days, like most of the people that were involved in Muay Thai Boxing and things like that from that early 90s era um, got started with the Bob Jones Corporation. And I actually started with a freestyle martial art called Zendo Kai. Um, and, you know, a, a part of that was uh, sparring and, and striking and, you know, a crude form of Muay Thai back there. Uh, they, were, they were the first ones to bring in, you know, the leg kicking, low kicking um, from the Muay Thai style. Uh, so really got started that way. I was I was very lucky in that my instructor that I that I chose to start with um, happened to be competing. So the, uh, the the school the gym was very small at that time. Like there was only three or four or five students. It was very early for him. Um, so a large part of our training sessions was sparring and, and actually practicing to to spar and compete. I, like, I think I sparred in my first training session ever of Muay Thai. So, um, you know, that, that was that was combined with, you know, sometimes it was Muay Thai, sometimes it was uh, street self-defense, sometimes it was carter and, and patents and those kinds of things. Uh, but like I said, I was lucky in that my instructor was was competing. So we, uh, we sparred more often than not. And then when did you start fighting and when did you first start making trips over to Thailand? Because you went on two or three month stints pretty regularly for a while, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Um, so I can, 
came from a competitive sporting background from when I was very young. Um, I did the usual thing, things through uh, school, like uh, playing Australian rules football, soccer, cricket, all those kinds of things. But I was also a uh, competitive swimmer um, from when I was about six years old to 16 or 17. So, um, in which paid, you know, in which case, like some of that time, I was, you know, training twice a day, and I represented um, my state in, uh, in Australia in, in swimming, and uh, so I had that competitive thing in me, um, and I went into triathlons, and then from triathlons, I just got into martial art for the self-defense, and being a teenage, being a teenage boy, and having wanted to do it for years and years, so. Uh, that, that got me into it that way. Um, in terms of edging me towards uh, competing, um, that was a logical step. My competitiveness taking over and uh, wanting to wanting to test myself more than anything. And doing some uh, back popular in those days was tournaments. You know, some touch contact tournaments that the the Bob Jones Corporation used to run. And I did well in a couple of those things that I went to. And so. The next, obviously, the next test was to want to compete, but that, that came well after my first trip to Thailand. So um, I think from reading Blitz magazines, I once saw an ad for uh, Stefan Fox's very first Thailand tour. Um, so I, I went on that. Um, that was 1993. So that was you know the very early days of those kinds of things. and. Um, Stefan took us all to um, Koh Samui and places like that where the WMC camp wasn't even established at that stage back then. Um, so yeah, that was my opening to Thailand. You know, I think the tour was almost three weeks and I spent an extra week there as well. Um, and that just, I got the bug as anyone that does Thailand um, experiences and then it was just, it, it was just working to get back there as soon as he, as soon as he could. And uh, my, my next trip after that was um, a three-month visa, and I went down to uh, Sydney Tong in Pattaya and overstayed, overstayed my visa by a month. So I did, I did four months because um, back then it was only about five hundred baht a day to overstay your visa, so you didn't even worry about extending properly. <laughs> 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 and, uh, yeah, so that was the uh, that was the Thailand influence and bug, and that was the beginning of, of many trips. And then after that trip to Sidi Otong, you moved over to Sangmorakot, correct? Uh, yes, I did try Jockey Gym. Mm. So after after the Sidi Tong trip, uh, my best friend back then, Timor Dal, who was um, you know into into Thailand, even probably a little bit more ahead of ahead of me. Um, he was at Jockey Gym, um, which is where Dannyville was at, at that time. And I, I did go and I tried the Jockey Gym, but I, I didn't really like it. I didn't get any attention whatsoever. I was there for nearly a month, and I don't think I got had work one time with a trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought, oh, yeah, maybe that place isn't, isn't for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I on my next trip, I came, went, went to Thailand for the, um, the IFMA um, Kings Cup, like World Amateur World Championships and had a tournament. Um, 
that was 97, 98, and I, I won that. And I just decided to decided to stay from there. So I contacted Pom and Pom Martin in Perth because I had a good friendship with him. And he recommended me to go to St. Morocco, his good friend, uh, Jatui. And yeah, the rest, the rest is history. And that gym was located by Roger Demnern, correct? Yes, very close to the, um, Roger Demnern and uh, Golden Mount, what, what Saket. Mm -hmm. And so, and you fought at Roger Demnern a few times as well, correct? Yeah, I fought. I've, I had four fights, four wins at, at Roger. Mm -hmm. And so what was it like at the time period training at St. Morica and what sort of things were happening in Australia at the time? Um, the training at St. Morica was, yeah, it was, it was full on. Um, I, I was tested, I was taken in, um, I, I trained, I trained like the tires did, even though my, my body wasn't wasn't prepared for that, um, but I felt like the best way to get their respect and earn their respect was to, to train how they trained and not, not cut any corners, you know, do all the runs, do do all the rounds, you know, clinch them, uh, you know, everything, everything like that. I did everything that I could to, um, to fit in and gain their respect in terms of the training and just simply to do it properly. Uh, the training was very, very, um, hard um, firstly just getting used to that volume of training um, and also the gym at that time was uh, Thailand was voted Thailand gym of the year I think three three out of the four years that I was closely associated with it so I think that pressure to maintain that um, and there was a lot of champions at the gym um, at that time the, the pressure was on to maintain that standing and so the training was very 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 physical big big runs um, you know rounds rounds of pads was five or six five minute rounds um, clinching was an hour um, sometimes more if, depending on who was keeping time um, <laughs> they went through stages of running after you know the a three nearly four hour training session as well all, all kinds of crazy things like that mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tiring. And yeah. how old were you at the time? Um, at that time, I was, you know, that was that was me already being in the sport at, at St. Morapot, already nearly being in the sport to almost 10 years. So mm. I was, uh, I was 18, I think, 18, 19 when I started. Was about twenty. I was twenty-seven or something like that when mm -hmm. I went, won the, um, the the World Amateur Championships. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I was I was like already twenty-eight and, and stuff like that. I reckon at that at that time. I assume you were the only foreigner at the gym, or were the maybe one or two other people? Yeah, a large part of the time. Yeah, a large part of the time I was there on my own, or you sometimes get uh, like a Japanese. Uh, a Japanese student come and, and stay for a little while. Um, my one of my best friends, Brett Dalton from Australia, um, he would he would come over and train and visit and spend um, you know one or two or sometimes three months, and then a, a vast majority of the time I'd be I'd be on my own. Mm -hmm. It was a really great but full on experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can only imagine.
sort of back then as well, like there wasn't much there wasn't much English around. It's not like it wasn't like going to Phuket or anything like that. Mm-hmm. We could speak to them in, in Thai and they'd speak to you back in English. Um, it was like the, the area it was central Bangkok and it was like I would sometimes go one or two weeks not speaking any English at all, um, unless I called home to speak to speak to somebody. Um, and I myself. <laughs> I got to the stage where I found myself actually counting reps in Thai and things like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's pretty funny at the time. Yeah, and that's afterwards actually. It's pretty funny afterwards. <laughs> that's uh, not surprising at all. You know, even in my own experience coming over for the first time in like 2005 or so, the just the amount of integration between Thais and foreigners was not that much, and yeah. You know, this was like early internet days, and I feel like before then, even less. So, how often were you fighting? You said you had the four fight bouts at Raja, I assume while you were at Sang Morakot. Yes, I had lots of I I had lots of uh, fights around in the countryside as well. I fought in I fought in temples. Um, I fought in Bangkok under under freeways. Um, wherever there were fights, I took. I got asked if I wanted to fight that night. Sit in the back of the Ute and go out in the country and have a fight. Um, you know, I got taken to markets and got a fight found for me. Um, whatever <laughs> whatever it was back in those uh, back in those early days to get fights. You know, there was no such thing as uh, Max. Max Muay Thai and all these uh, stadiums sort of set up for for, for TV um, and you know foreigner versus Thai and, and those kinds of things. It was just you know just doing it doing deep, deeply ingrained. Yeah, and what was your purse like? How were you supporting yourself while you were there? Oh, uh, just just fighting often, um, fighting often. Uh, I think. In a two-year period, I had almost 30 fights, I remember. Plus, also during that time, I had a couple of fights and spent, spent a short amount of time in Japan, actually. Oh, huh. Uh, with the late Duke Kempson at a gym called Tagani Gym. And they, they would fly me over for, you know, and stay for two weeks and fight fight for that gym. So that was, that was very, like at that time, that was very good money, like, 2000 us mm. um, for a uh, for a fight in japan so that would obviously last a very long time in thailand um you know i had my own little had my own little unit um very close to the camp um Jatui never i did pay any training fees at, at st morakot after after my first month of training there um like they really took me in so it was really minimal spending uh, while i was in while I was in Thailand, um, unless someone from Perth would come over and visit me, and then we then we go out and do a few entertaining things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course, um, Thailand can always be entertaining. And so, I mean, what was it like? I guess did you feel pretty disconnected from Perth and Australian um, with Thai at the time? Because you know, there's obviously a big uh, gap between the culture and communication yeah uh definitely it was it was definitely some 
pretty lonely times. Um, you know, we refer to it as living living the dream and stuff like that. But at the same time, it was still some very difficult, challenging times. You know, with the communication. Obviously, like over time, my tie got very good, um, but it's it's obviously still still not quite the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I would get occasional visits and. You know, back then there wasn't like social media like now and connecting with people and, you know, just sending messages and stuff like that. It's, you know, communication basically, um, you know, because when you're, when you're away, you're a boxer living off your purses, you know, even phoning home and stuff like that is an expensive operation. Um, so it's, you know, your communication tended to be uh, emails and, and that was about it, mm-hmm. um, sending some emails. So, you know, afternoon afternoon trip to the, um, the the computer the computer shop in the afternoon sit down and have a drink and do a few emails and things like that well, that was kind of your that was a social network <laughs> <laughs> yeah the internet cafes are still here but they're not quite as prevalent anymore uh, yeah. I, I definitely again I remember like early on going walking to internet cafes and looking at gyms online or emailing people and, you know, definitely different times. And, you know, this was only, you know, 10, 15 years ago versus, you know, 20 years with you. So you were at St. Morcott for two years or so. Um, and then when did you transition back into Australia and why did you decide to do that? Um, yeah, well, it was, it was actually more like three years and mm. at St. Morocot plus about six months in Japan as well. So um, it, was a, it was a good frame, you know, good good amount of time that I got to spend there. Um, and even during that time, uh, there was a couple of times that I got flown home to fight, uh, like because I was from Perth and Pond, uh, and that area was doing very big shows. Uh, he actually, and his connection with Jatui, he actually brought me back to Perth uh, a couple of times to fight. So I would train for it in Thailand and then, then fly home to fight. And then, you know, a couple of days later, um, then, then fly back to back to Thailand. So, um, you know, that was that was a great experience to be able to do that. And obviously, obviously well needed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So that was sort of around the 2000 time mm-hmm. and then you permanently relocated back to perth though correct yeah as always if you'd like to follow me you can do so on instagram matt lucas Thai. i always respond to messages there i also have the website matt-lucas.com or email me at a period matt period lucas at gmail.com Thanks to all the people that have supported me so far, sharing the podcast, leaving reviews. If you'd like to leave a review, that would be super helpful. You can do so on the iTunes stores. After years of hard work, studying, and being in the game, I publish On Fighting in Thailand, a guide to the sport in the motherland. is a Muay Thai encyclopedia. It goes over scoring, matchmaking, picking gym, fight styles, gambling, Muay Thai culture, and more. It contains a series of interviews with long-term expat fighters, including Michael Savas, Willie Whipple, Lisa Breeley, Angela Chang, and others. It is a great guide, educates and helps guide careers by helping safe fighters 
from costly mistakes. It is a definitive guide and is available on Amazon as an ebook and in print. So go check it out. I'm fighting in Thailand, a guide to the sport in the motherlands. Yeah, I relocated back to back to the Perth. Um, and then I started to uh, plan for the future. Even when I was even when I was living in Thailand, obviously you've got a lot of time sort of between training sessions and you're you're trying to rest and recover recover you're not so much getting out to the shops and looking around doing the tourist thing when you've when you've been there for a long time it's thinking about recovery for your afternoon training session um, so I, I spent a lot of time planning and making notes and things like that like I knew fairly early on um, that I wanted to teach Muay Thai and wanted to make it my career afterwards and so I very early started planning and jotting down notes about, you know, ideas for names of the gym and curriculum and structure and, and things like that, uh, planning for the planning for the future. So when was it that you first uh, started opening your gym? Like, I know you had students and you would train them in the evenings and you were also sort of actively fighting at the same yes. time. And then, you know, inevitably you you know, the students were fighting more, you decided to go that path. But just in terms of time span, when was that? Yep, uh, so that was, uh, I opened my gym in 2003. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, 2003, uh, you know, getting things moving for the future. And my focus, yeah, my focus was on, you know, trying to train students and, and just have members come and train at the gym and then train with a, a small group of, of fighters that would train with me also. So it was a way for me to keep my fight career going or at least wind it down uh, for, for a couple of years while I was building the gym up. So I was sort of getting the best of both worlds and sort of two sort of little incomes coming, coming <laughs> in that way to help, help it get by. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that it flourished flourished quite quickly because I was still fighting and, and doing well uh, at, at that time. You know, the name of the gym spread very quickly. Um, I had some fighters come to me uh, that were already established. Um, and so they became, you know, morning training partners. And then so then I was able to just concentrate freely on, on training beginners classes and stuff like that in the evening times and try to do it try and build up and do a few PTs during the daytime. You know, that, like I said, I had a couple of uh, experienced fighters come to me. Um, Chris, uh, Chris Tiger White, who was uh, already, had already won a, a WKN world, world title in Poland. Um, Eugene Eckelburn, who was already WMC world champion. Um, he, he won, had won it previously, uh, came to train with me also. So I had some really, really good training partners from, from very early on. And I just made that natural progression from caring about my own training solely to naturally not just sharing what I was, what I was, what I knew and what I was doing, but more, more focused on their preparation and, and things like that. You know, like I was holding pads up until the final training session and 
and then on a fight show, I'd, I'd do the corner for two or three or four of my fighters before I got to my own fight. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and uh, obviously, I didn't have a trainer. It was the team training me, and I had uh, my mate Brett Dalton would often help me with the corner and, and things like that just uh, to help me during the fight. So, and old training partners. Yeah. So, you know, not, not really getting that direction and, and structure of having a coach telling you what to do. And so I guess that helped me with my own coaching experience and skill from very early on also. And then, um, so when did you decide to start coaching full-time and what was the uh, Muay Thai scene like in Australia? You said Pawn was putting on regular shows. Uh, how often were they? Were, how big were these shows? What was sort of going on with the larger community? Okay. Um, yeah, in, in Perth, the, the, the Bob Jones Corporation, uh, they were doing regular they were doing regular fight shows like every every couple of months. I mean it's nothing nothing like it is now. So back in those those days in the nineties there was the BJC they were doing say maybe four, four shows a year. Uh, Pond was maybe doing a, a couple from memory, a couple of a year. Um, he went through a period where he developed that a lot more around the two thousands and stuff like that. He did more than that. But very early on, like early 90s and mid-90s, he did some massive shows at, as Burswood with with sort of 2,000 plus people, which was huge for Muay Thai, um, mm. you know, back, back in that day especially, but even even now um, in, in Perth, if you know, for a Perth crowd. Um, and he was bringing over superstar ties, like he brought over, uh, he, did a, he did one show which really shaped gave me direction for the style that I wanted to go and it was a large part of the reason why I started going to Thailand. Um, he brought over superstar ties of the of the golden era, Nankabun, Sang Tiang Noi, all those kinds of guys which were like this, you know, people watch, still watch them now, <laughs> they're like legends, legends mm-hmm. of the sport, so to see them actually live back then, Koban. Oh twice. wow! Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, just incredible, you know, created and made a hell of an impact mm-hmm. on me and for that for that Thai style was what I really wanted to do. Um, so that again, that throughout the course of the year, that wasn't a huge number of, of fight shows, um, which also sort of pushed me to the point that oh, okay, I was sometimes only getting one or two fights. In a year, in, in that in that early part, because of obviously not not the, the pool, um, the talent pool um, back then, and there was you know a lot less interstate fights and, and those kinds of things. Our promoters weren't just going to fly in someone new to fight like what happens commonly now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of got to the stage I was in, I was in door, doing door work and those kinds of things, so that I could train a lot. Um, got to the stage where I was like, all right, what do I want to do with this? Do I want to go and make something of this, or do I just want to, you know, stay in Perth and work doors and have an occasional fight, and not be at my best? Because sometimes even that would, would be not be might be two fights in a year, and you might only get three weeks' notice. So if you weren't already good 
prep mm-hmm. um, a good condition, it was going to be was going to be a battle. Right. <laughs> so, what was it like opening the gym and really transitioning into being a full time coach? You know, what was running the business like at the time? Was it difficult for you to? transition from fighter to business owner yeah it was uh, it was it was obviously an exciting time i was i was obviously learning on the fly um pon back then in perth pon was pretty much the only person that was making a living a living out of uh teaching muay thai um having having a muay thai gym um he was he was a big inspiration. He, his gym was very very busy back then. Um, over in Melbourne, Mark, Mark Castanini was um, you know a, a full time gym. He was doing the, you know the BJC sort of Muay Thai um, and some some martial arts and stuff like that as well. So I kind of I took inspiration from from him as well with, with curriculum and how he how he structured things. Um, so I kind of felt like I was finding my finding my way a, a lot with with those things. But again, I just went back to all those plans that I that I had made, um, thinking about how to teach the basics of Muay Thai, how to break down things, um, learning drills and things like that, and how to pass that on to people that just want to train it for fun and fitness, um, not necessarily to compete, but you know, to keep the, the, the true nature of Muay Thai, not, not watering things down or fluffing them down or anything like that to make them appealing, but actually still teach the real Muay Thai. And I, the, the structure of my gym is still very much about that now. Like we, we teach real Muay Thai, real skills um, through throughout the classes, the beginners classes, the intermediate classes, right into my fight, fight team we do Know, we do we do lots of drills and drills and things like that. Yeah, uh, in terms of learning business, it was very much it, it was it was very much on the fly. <laughs> so yeah, it was very much learning learning on the fly. But I just like I said, I went back to having some structure. Um, and my biggest thing with business was just treating people how I wanted to be treated. Mm. And then uh, Perth has become a real hotbed for the sport now. How has it changed over time? Like when did more gyms start coming in? Uh, and in general, in the Muay- Australian Muay Thai scene? Yeah, look, WA Muay Thai, the Perth Muay Thai is just, it's so, so strong. It's so good here. Um, like the level, the level of the fighters coming out, um, you know, from the trainers, because it's my generation of trainer now, the guys that have had fights and been to Thailand and done tournaments and, uh, you know, have locally and internationally had a lot of fights. There's, there's, uh, there's gyms, even now, there's new gyms opening up all the time. Um, and they're not, you know, they're, they're not cowboy, they're, they're not idiots. The majority of them are guys with experience or retired fighters um, that have decided to, to open up one, uh, one of my former fighters, uh, Eugene Eckleburn, seven times world champion. He, he was, uh, uh, he's been training people for, for several years now. 
he was partnered with uh, Fierce, Fierce Fight Academy, um, but he's just gone out on his on his own and started his own last year. Um, another uh, well-known perf fighter, James Bertolami, he's gone out on his own and, and opened up uh, Monsters Inc. So we've got all these new gyms coming up and from experienced fighters. So just the, the level is just is awesome now in Perth. Um, and a large part of that, uh, well, a big part of that is the culture, the, 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 the Thai culture, the sportsmanship, the, uh, the, the friendliness, the camaraderie. The WA Muay Thai is a really, really good place at the moment. Really good. Um, and how has your coaching and training changed over time? And what sort of influence have, have you had over it? Or what has influenced you? Um, I've, my main changes that I've made is um, sort of obviously you, you kind of evolve things a little bit. You know, as, as you learn things or try them, um, probably the main changes I've made in terms of training for my fighters and things like that is uh, adjusting, adjusting the volume and things like that from my own ex, from my own experiences. You know, I in hindsight, looking back at my time in Thailand, there was never a time that I went into a fight where I wasn't overtrained, um, unless I took it on really short notice. Um, and remembering that feeling of how I felt. Um, and so I've, and keeping in mind also that everybody over here, the majority of people work full time or at least part time and study and things like that. So they have a lot of other things on their plate. Um, so to keep that same sort of volume and training um, that you do in Thailand is not realistic at all. So, um, you know, I have had made big changes with volume. Um, I do, uh, we do a, a great taper, we call it. Last week, prior to the fight here, I call it taper week, and we're cutting down sessions each day, reducing their volume of training. Um, another big change I've made is adding in sort of like some more intense, so rather than just long and steady and arduous like the Thailand style, uh, we do a lot of short, sharp stuff. We do some 40 second rounds of pads where you're really working at a high intensity rate. Um, and we also do some some sprinting, you know, like Tabata sprinting, 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off, those kinds of things to develop that that high end high end uh, power and energy output. Really uh, get the get the engine firing, get the super super fit, rather than just always long and steady. Um, I've incorporated uh, incorporated strength and conditioning for years now, probably close to 10 years always learning and implementing about those things. Um, I still I still train every day myself. I do Muay Thai hip pads one to two times a week. Obviously I hold pads very physically every every day. Um, and I do strength and conditioning and some CrossFit style stuff literally every day. Yeah. So always always learning, always evolving, always tweaking. And can you talk about some of your more present notable fighters? I'm personally more familiar with uh, like Tyler Hardcastle, who had a great bout with Samapet on Rebellion um, a little while ago. And then, of course, George Mann, who won the WBC bout against David Panapid. Uh Can you talk yes. about like some of the more present fighters you've developed, uh, both male and female? Yes, but... The present ones, um, as you mentioned already, yeah, George, George Mann, 
um, has uh, come, come to Perth probably about five, almost maybe five years ago now, four or five years ago. He's been at, he's been at Riddler's Gym almost three years now. Um, love having him. He's got a wealth of experience. He's a, he's a wonderful guy, um, really generous with his um, technique and experience that he has, always shares it with his training partners and stuff like that. Uh, Tyler Hardcastle, who's been with me since he was uh, 15 years old, um, have had a, you know, obviously a long history with him. Um, recently retired Alicia Pastana. She's, she's been around for a very long time. Um, but obviously a female fighter. She was a WPA world champion many years ago. Um, and she retired as the current uh, WMC Australian champion a couple of times. She was out here recently or, or a year or two ago for IFMA, yes. correct? Yeah, I, I yeah, met her correct. out here. I remember her. I was wondering yeah. what had happened with her and where, where yeah. she'd gone. Yeah, well, she's, uh, she decided to retire because she wanted to start a family. Mm. And, uh, she is about to give birth very soon. So she's pregnant with a, with a son. Mm -hmm. He's going to be coming coming very soon. <laughs> That's good. Uh, another really well-known uh, fighter of mine, especially in, uh, in Australia, was uh, the Nightmare Lloyd Dean. Oh, right, right. He was uh, he was a great name. Had a had a lot of really good battles with a, with a lot of ties. He had a number of really good fights um, and wins on on Rebellion. Mm. Um, but he just sort of out of the blue just decided that he had enough. Um, just over. A year ago now, a year, year and a half, um, he fought uh, he fought Duke here and he fought Arsene Payak on the Yokao show and he just decided he'd had enough. <laughs> He's a very hard-working guy, so I think it became, it was very grueling for him to, to, to work uh, as an electrician and, mm. and train, train hard like he did. He had a, he had a solid number of fights in it period of time and I think it, I think it just built up on him and he just decided that he'd, he'd had enough yeah. um, so that was a that was a shame mm -hmm. um, but he certainly established himself um, Nicola Nicola Kalanda who you uh, you met at Muay Thai Angels many years ago um, one of my up-and-coming female fighters when I say up-and-coming she's 14 fights now Megan um, Burberry she's the current Muay Thai Australia and a WBC state champion, so she's got a very promising future. She's very focused, very determined, um, young fighter. So, going to be, we're all going to be seeing big things from from her in the next couple of years. Yeah, good to hear. And so, I guess moving gears a little bit into the past again. Um, how did you know a lot of things have come out of Australian Muay Thai, like? The evolution shows, the one warrior shows, uh, more recently rebellion um, and international kickboxer. How do these sort of things uh, shape the sport in the country? Well, they they helped shape the uh, the sport immensely um, in terms of you know international kickboxer magazine, which was an, an originally or initially Blitz magazine. Uh, Mark Mark Hammer Casamini had a had a lot to do with that. Um, obviously, the formation and the management of International Kickboxer magazine, uh, gaining the exposure for the fighters, you know, 
articles on the social media right now, um, and the International Boxer Magazine was really our Bible, so to speak. We used to, we just used to live and hang out for that magazine to find out fight results, you know, from two months prior, <laughs> things like that. Whereas now, now you know, like during the show or an hour after the show, if you don't know the results, you're barely interested. Uh, but I just remember just hanging for it to come in the coming in the mail um, and just sit down and literally read it from cover to cover. Um, you know, and anyone that was trying to establish the gyms um, would, would advertise in the magazine and support the magazine. So that had a, had a massive development and exposure for the shows, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark, Mark Hammer had, a, had a, a lot to do with the exposure to the evolution. Um, the shows in Queensland put on by, uh, I get Josh Sexton, mm-hmm. um, had a lot to do with their um, exposure on Fox Sports and, you know, the the names of the fighters that became household names, Carnage, John Wayne Parr, Preacher, all those guys, um, due to regular showing on, on Fox Sports, mm-hmm. um, which was awesome. Yeah. And then I guess more recently, what are some of the big shows in Australia? Like I'm most familiar with uh, Rebellion. How, uh, what does the uh, landscape sort of look like now? Uh, yeah, yeah, Rebellion um, has really done amazing things the last couple of years. Cy, Cy puts on and has put on really big fights, fights that he wants to see. You know, he's a massive fan of the sport. And, uh, you know, if he's a, if he's a big fan of Superstar Tide um, or somebody like that, like he, he wants to put on the fights that he wants to see. Um, so he's done incredible things for it in the last couple of years and has been largely responsible for the growth of Muay Thai in Victoria, which were very, uh, very kickboxing and K1 rules heavy um, state. Um, he's had a lot to do with the, the development of, of Muay Thai there. Um, you know, Nisa Fury in Adelaide with Shep um, promoting uh, or Paul Slowinski, the Sting, um, early early on, you know, late 90s, 2000s, um, multiple, multiple times WMC world champion. Um, again, a, another show that was on Fox Sports regularly. Um, I had a lot of fighters on those shows uh, as well. Um, and locally, in Perth, myself and Kaylee have done the epic shows over over previous years and supremacy prior to that, um, and domination doing doing really 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 big things here and, and regularly as well. Very new to the scene, the Muay Thai Grand Prix guys mm-hmm. um, uh, doing really good shows already. They've, they've done three shows now, and yeah, they're doing great shows so far. So mm-hmm. it's really helping the Perth scene. Um, my, my good friend Paul Demacoli uh, is up in, obviously, he had a lot to do with ultimate promotions, which were largely boxing K1 rules uh, back in the day in, in Victoria. Um, he's now up in Queensland. Um, he, he does the great show Eruption up there, which is, which is all Muay Thai now. So, yeah, he's had a large part of development for a lot of fighters and shows. And I guess just sort of wrapping things up, how do you feel Australian Muay Thai has changed over, you know, the last 10, 15 years? In 10 to 15 years, uh, the main 
changes has been the development of the fighters, the, the skill set, obviously the knowledge, uh, the knowledge and the skill set is increasing because of the trainers. Like I said, it's on the second or third generation of trainers and fighters now. And, and people that were fighters like myself um, have been, who've been going to Thailand, had a bunch of fights, um, are now passing on those skills. Plus we're still, plus we're still learning from, from being coaches. So the skill set of the, the fighters now is just incredible. Like my intermediate level fighters and some of my fighters are going to fight. Like honestly, the way they fight, they look like they've had, they look like they've had five fights. And the guys, the guys that have had five fights look like they've had ten fights. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's incredible uh, the, the skill set and level of the fighters. And these guys aren't having to having to make the mistakes or find their way like like the trainers did, like myself did, and all the other generation of, of trainers uh, like Blair Smith, Darren Kurovic, Adam Bailey, like like we all had to make. Mm-hmm. And getting our experience passed straight to them. So that's the that's the main change I can see. And on the scene, um, there's a lot better understanding of the culture. It's a lot more cultural now. Um, the, uh, the, res- the respect for Muay Thai, the Ramoys, um, the the nature of, of the fighters, like the Perth scene especially, and even people from interstate, when they come over, they say, I just can't believe how friendly everyone is over here, you know, like at the Wayne's opponents, opponents or previous opponents are talking to one another and just everyone is so friendly, you know, and that we put that down to... The, uh, the the culture of Muay Thai now it's not not just about the ego and actual fighting but it's, it's a culture of like true Muay Thai whereas back 15 20 years ago it was sort of like the gyms weren't influenced by the, the by the Thai culture mm-hmm. um, and so it was very much about actual fighting and ego and wanting to beat that gym or wanting to beat that fighter mm-hmm. whereas now a lot of the trainers are happy happy to just have a great matchup and for the fighters to show brilliant skills and, and things like that. Great. Uh, and so wrapping things up, was there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get a chance to talk about? The biggest disappointment for me is obviously just the lack of mainstream media exposure that Muay Thai gets and that our fighters get. Like We all know about it. We all know and the fighters know they're not going to make thousands or become millionaires out of Muay Thai, so they're simply doing it for the, the passion um, and the, uh, you know, the, the sport of actually learning and doing Muay Thai. Um, that is kind of disappointing, just that the mainstream media just won't show that interest and it'll come around, and that continues to be sort of like yeah. my main disappointment mm-hmm. um, that Muay Thai get, not getting the recognition uh, that it that it deserves, you know, especially when you you look at the popularity of, of UFC and you know the, the style of the fights and even like in UFC the most popular fighters and the most popular fights are the are the stand up fights and the ones that stand there punching and kicking and you know they talk about the effectiveness of the low kicks and the the uh, the locking on clinch the tie clinch the tie elbows they always talk about those things but it doesn't carry over into the growth of the support for Muay Thai. The people in Muay Thai love Muay Thai, but you 
don't seem to be getting more and more people come over to it. Our shows are sort of still similar styles, our sizes, and you know, we obviously we went through a great growth period uh, years ago when Muay Thai was regularly on, on Fox Sports, but we we lost a lot of that exposure with the growth of UFC and, and MMA. Mm-hmm. They, they took out they took our Muay Thai slots mm. on uh, on Foxtel, and with and with that they lost my subscription. <laughs> well, <laughs> hopefully in the future we can change things. You know, little by little, doing things like this. You know, we'll see what happens. But um, how can people follow along with you? Where's good places to follow along with the gym and some of the fighters? Yeah, probably the best. The best place to follow along is uh, on Instagram, Riddler's, uh, Riddler's Gym. is probably the best place to, to find us. And I always try to get the results up of my fighters and uh, promote the fight shows that putting my fighters on and all those kinds of things. So um, it's my, my site isn't just about Muay Thai, but we, we do put a lot of Muay Thai stuff up. So I love sharing information about my fighters, upcoming fights, and the results after the fights as soon as I can. Um, and, you know, lots of post-fight photos. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely Riddler's Gym on Instagram, and that's obviously connected to our Facebook page too. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time, Darren. I really appreciate it. Matt, thank you very much for the opportunity and, and wanting to speak to me. I really appreciate it. That was a great interview with Darren. I think he really brings a lot of experience and knowledge to the table. Obviously, he brought a lot of it back to Australia. And I think that's really one of the reasons why Australia and Perth in particular has really developed its Muay Thai scene. It's people coming out here to Thailand for extended periods of time and returning home. They're maintaining the connections out here in Thailand but they're also bringing a lot of knowledge and information back with them. So I really applaud Darren for coming out here and staying for so long. It's definitely not easy. Looking forward to doing some more interviews. Hopefully we'll be interviewing Kaylee Reese soon and a couple others in the Australian Muay Thai scene. Thank you as always for listening. And once again, if you like this show and if you like the content, would be great if you could share, uh, leave a review on iTunes, and really support the show and what I'm doing here. If you'd like to reach me, you can follow me on Instagram at LucasMuayThai or email me at a.matt.lucas at gmail.com. As always, this has been On Fighting in Thailand, the best news and analysis covering the economics and infrastructure of Muay Thai. I'm Matt Lucas, journalist, commentator, and ex-Muay Thai fighter. Make stronger fighters, make stronger people. This show was edited by Effie Ceruti. You can find me on Instagram at Effie underscore FC or on Facebook at Effie Ceruti.